You've been hearing it for years. You know I love my Steel product. That's S-T-I-H-L, but I'm sure you are quite aware of that by this point in time. Go to SteelUSA.com and go shopping, man. And then go to SteelDealers.com to find the closest store in your area where you can pick things up because they have more than 10,000 around the country. So go shop online. Go make sure the house is looking great, the backyard. You're going camping. They got all kinds of stuff that'll help with that. I love battery powered. Battery powered is the way to go. Better for the environment. It's quick. It's efficient. It's powerful. Steel. They're the best. S-T-I-H-L. Again, SteelUSA.com. SteelDealers.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, another tough outing for Daniel Barr. He's met this challenge up front. He's been candid about it, but there have been times lately where it becomes tough to watch. But Jones, Doyle, and Tovar continue to impress. Those are the building blocks. They can be a part of a team that contends for the postseason. And our special guest, Rockies third base coach and infield coach, Warren Schaefer, coaching up Tovar. Tovar has it all for me. I mean, he's a 21-year-old with a great brain, how he can control his emotional level and how he can play every day physically at 21 in a hard man's game. Plus, what are Schaefer's managerial aspirations? Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find those podcasts and tell your beer buddies. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is show number 215 coming to you from my home. Been on the road for a while. Ten days out on the road. St. Louis, Milwaukee, L.A. And the trip started well. Finally won in St. Louis. The Rockies won two out of three in St. Louis. And then Milwaukee lost uh extra inning game there. And, and L.A., you know, L.A. did L.A. things uh, against everybody, not just the Rockies. But um, as we tape this, the Rockies fell today 9-7. to seven. They had come back uh, against the Diamondbacks the last two days. Couldn't hold leads. Their bullpen's been depleted. Tyler Kinley's the one who gave it up today. And I, I'm not worried at all. Tyler Kinley, before he went down last June, was, if not the best setup guy in baseball, he was certainly an all-star candidate, uh, he was one of the best setup guys in baseball. High 90s fastball and that vertical slider we often describe on television. He's back. He's healthy. He's still throwing hard. He still has the verticality in the slider. But I'm not worried. He, he was out for over a year. So the fact that he's back, that's the number one thing. And then going forward, we'll see where Tyler Kinley is. And there's no question. I'm sure he'll uh, go back to his days as a seventh, eighth inning guy. Um, the rest of this year, certainly. But uh, next year, I'm sure he'll be in a, in a much uh, better place. The guy I think you and I both worry about is Daniel Bard, and I can't tell you how much I respect Daniel Bard, his story. Um, you are, again, probably very familiar with it. Seven years, basically, out of the big leagues. Thought he was done. He was a mental skills coach for the for the Diamondbacks, and you know he, he started throwing, and all of a sudden, he got it back, and, and he was able to, to conquer the yips, and I hate that term, but he was, and we saw it rear its ugly head again during the WBC this year for Team USA after having a sensational year last year. And he started out the year on the injured list. He's come back. He's had moments. But as of this taping, in 42-plus innings, he's walked 42, and he's hit 
a slew of guys, and you just feel for him because he's such a great person, and he's met this challenge up front. He's been candid about it, uh, but there have been times lately where it, it becomes tough to watch, where the Rockies were down a run. He went out there in the top of the ninth inning, and he hit a guy and walked a couple guys, got an out, and then he walked in a run to make it 9-7, which made the, the bottom of the ninth uh, that much more difficult a hill to climb. Hopefully, he is able to overcome it again. He's done it once. Actually, he's probably done it more than once. Uh, but uh, today, watching Daniel and and a couple times over the last couple of weeks, just, uh, you know, in the interest of being honest, it, it's tough. And, and um I I think like you, if you have any humanity, you, you feel for him. And I know the cynics will say, well, he's getting paid millions of dollars to pitch. Yeah, but if you if you knew Daniel Bard, it, it's not about that. And and he has been such a beacon of light for other people that battle anxiety and other issues when it comes to performance. So we do wish him all the best. So the Rockies fell today uh, in uh, in nine innings, nine to seven. Uh, but I want to talk about the two young outfielders, Nolan Jones and Brenton Doyle, and they're and they're different in this regard. Nolan Jones offensively has had a big impact. He had a two run home run today. In fact, pretty late, I think it was the bottom of the sixth inning to give the Rockies a seven to six lead. It was part of a four run bottom of the sixth inning. He also the very next inning plucked a wall a ball off the scoreboard that is a double every single time and he threw out Jose Herrera by about five feet trying to stretch it into a double I mean Herrera has to think off the bat I just hit one 350 360 feet off the scoreboard and Nolan Jones uncorks a perfect throw he does that on a nightly basis two nights ago he threw a ball I think it was 99 plus miles an hour 310 feet to throw a guy out at the plate so it's not just the big arm and he's been well over 102 on some throws. It's the accuracy. And he tracks balls down. Tuesday night, he tracked a ball down 420 feet from home plate in extreme left center field that Tommy Pham hit. And it had a catch probability very low. And there he was. And Brenton Doyle, you know, was closing quickly also. Those two guys, and I I defer to Ryan Spielborgs and Corey Sullivan uh, when it comes to opinion on outfielders, it's pretty clear as day. You could tell they're they're flat out terrific. They go and get the baseball. They get great jumps. They both are among the best arms in baseball. But already, Spilly believes those two guys may be the best outfielders the Rockies have ever had, and they're both rookies. And they didn't even start the the, the season with the team. They've been that impressive. The lens that I look at the Rockies through is, on one hand, maybe complex, but it's also very simple. Who is part of the solution? Who is going to be good enough to be part of the Rockies when they can contend for a playoff spot? That's the bottom line. Not are they a big leaguer and and they belong on a big league roster, but maybe it's a second division team. Not about that. Who can be a part of a winning team? And I don't think there's any question that Nolan Jones has proven both ways, offensively and defensively, that he is going to be an impactful guy. 
And if you're around him and you see his focus day to day and you and you see his work ethic, this is not a guy who is merely pleased that he is doing nicely in his first, it's not even a full year in the big leagues. He came up last year with Cleveland, but doing nicely these last two, three months. It's not about that. He's about being great. And I can say the same thing for Ezekiel Tovar. And I can say the same thing for Brenton Doyle. Now, Doyle has a lot of offensive holes. He strikes out. You know, Nolan strikes out too, but Jones is, has has been hitting the ball over the wall and there's been more extra base hit. Um, he's hit on the road. He's hit lefties. In the case of Brenton Doyle, the strikeout rate is above 35%. You want to see it come down. If I'm going to be honest, I don't think it's ever going to be, you know, where he's a, a league average strikeout guy. It, that's a big jump. League average, by the way, is in that 23% range. But can he shave 5 or 6% off? Can he hit a few more homers because the power's in there? He's an explosive guy in everything he does. He's one of the fastest guys in baseball. We talked about the big arm. And so can he hit at the bottom of the order or thereabouts and be a guy that, not a real sexy average, can he hit 220, 225 and hit you know, 18 to 20 homers? And when he get gets on, as he's done this year, steal a boatload of bases and play the best center field maybe in franchise history. He saved, I thought, a couple of runs yesterday in the ball game. ultimately a Rockies loss. But you, you've you got to have a guy in center field. And you got to, playing at Coors Field, you got to have a couple of center fielders. And they do in Nolan Jones and Brenton Doyle. Doyle offensively, or excuse me, Jones offensively, I think there's, there's a lot more upside. Could I see him being a 30-homer guy, and, uh, you know, middle of the order, 90-plus RBI guy who hits for a decent average. And decent average in this day and age, folks, is not 300. Nobody hits 300 anymore. Decent average is 270. The league average right now is in the 240s. So, I mean, if you're hitting 265, you're well above league average. He also walks. And we know how important the on-base percentage component is. Rockies have to raise that collectively. I looked at this... Uh, Last week, and I mentioned it on television, the top six teams in on-base percentage in baseball, five of the six, if the season were to end right now, would be in the playoffs. You know, the Dodgers are way up there. The Braves are way up there. The Texas Rangers are way up there. You got to be on base, and then you have a chance to to do more damage. So I'm really excited about those two outfielders. And they're worth the price of admission to watch them play defense. And I think both of those guys are winning players on contending teams. I don't think there's any question, and you know this if you've been watching, that Ezekiel Tovar falls in that same boat. He's splendid. He's a he's a tremendous shortstop already. Gold glove caliber. Doyle gold glove caliber. Jones gold glove caliber. Tovar gold glove caliber. And since May 1st, remember that start that Corbin Carroll got off to? If Ronald Acuna, the first three months, wasn't going as nuts as he did and continues to, quite frankly, Corbin Carroll was mentioned as an MVP candidate, a lock to win Rookie of the Year. Now, he's cooled off some, but he's a diminutive guy who has 21 homers, stole another base today against the Rockies. He's 37 out of 40 in stolen bases. He hits lefties. Since May 1st, you know whose numbers are eerily similar to Corbin Carroll? 
That's right. The Rockies rookie shortstop, Ezekiel Tovar. I mean, damn close, with the exception of stolen bases. Obviously, uh, that category uh, would weigh heavily in the favor of the 22-year-old outfielder for the Arizona Diamondbacks. But that's how much Ezekiel Tovar has grown. He had a rough month of April offensively. He was solid, not great defensively. Since May 1st, outstanding. And he keeps getting better offensively. Second on the club, by the way, in home runs with 13. So that threesome, I know we've talked a lot about it, but those are the building blocks. Those are part of the solution, not just they're going to be decent big league players. They can be a part of a team that contends for the postseason. Now, they need a lot of help. We know that. We need a lot of help on the mound. Starting pitching, you know, Austin Gomber's been really, really good. Was a little bit of a a hiccup today in in the last inning where I think he was fatigued in the sixth inning, but he's been really good. Uh, You know, Kyle Freeland's Kyle Freeland. He battles. Ty Block's been really good. Last seven outings, including five starts, he has a two and a half ERA. But they're all very similar. The ball's going to be in play with those three guys. The Rockies need to develop some pitchers that can miss bats, especially at Coors Field. That's why Herman has been typically so valuable to the Rockies. He's one of those guys that could, you know, raise the strikeout total, though it had gone down over the last couple of years, which was a concern. And now we'll see how he bounces back from Tommy John. He'll probably miss most of next year. Uh, I think he'll pitch again in the big leagues at some point next year, but you know he's not going to be ready to go the first uh, the first few months. One would think. So uh, that that's my thought right now on on where the Rockies are. And if you still peek to see what's going on, think about guys you believe can be part of the solution. And here in the latter part of August, and with September right around the corner, uh, I believe they're going to bring up a couple more folks that that they're intrigued by. Hunter Goodman may be one of them. As of this taping, he has 29 home runs. He has 20 at-bats in AAA, and he's hit four homers. He hit 25 in Hartford. See, it's an intriguing bat. He's got some versatility. He's probably not a starting catcher. He can go back behind the plate. That was his natural position. The Rockies have played him in the minor leagues uh, in the in a corner outfield spot and a little bit at first base as well. There's another name to keep... Uh, uh, in mind, they have a kid, Evan Justice, left-handed reliever who throws wicked hard and has kind of a funky delivery. He's out of NC State and originally grew up in Richmond, Virginia. Went to the same high school as one Russell Wilson, in fact, collegiate high school in Richmond. He's put up really good numbers, high strikeout totals. He's going to get a shot, I think, before the end of the year. So, you know, that's how I, when, when I sit down and do a ball game. Yeah, we're calling the ball game, and and but we're also mindful of the future and who's going to be part of that solution. And some other guys clearly need to step forward. We've seen, you know, peace here and there, a moment here and there, if you will, from El Aris Montero. But you know, he still struggles with stuff spinning. He needs more consistency. There's got to be more home run in there. There's five, but he's going to be in, out there most every day the final six weeks. And the same goes for Michael Tolia. A lot of strikeouts. And they, they need more balls in the gap like he had Tuesday night and uh, and balls over the wall. It's a hard game, man. It's a hard game. 
and it is uh, quite a process when you're when you're rebuilding, and that's that's exactly uh, what the Rockies are doing right now. I thought about this the other day. Actually, I've thought about this quite a bit. The biggest disappointment from a team standpoint in baseball is it the Mets? Is it the Padres with that fabulous lineup of theirs and and a number of big name pitchers? Padres are interesting because I was looking at one of the advanced metrics and it suggested that the Padres, based on run differential and some other, again, metrics, analytics, should really be at like 12 games over 500 as opposed to four or five or whatever they are beneath 500. They just have never made a run. I was talking to Buddy about this the other day. I said, if if I told you in mid-August, Buddy, that the San Diego Padres would not be one of the top three teams in the National League West, what would you say? He said, no way. I mean, they, they would have to be with all that talent. But they're not. So they're a candidate. The Mets, what a disaster. I mean, you had, you had all, you know, two Hall of Famers, and, and they've had to trade them. They've never been consistent offensively, even though they have, you know, Frankie Lindor, Pete Alonso, who's hit a lot of home runs. They have big names, but they've been just an absolute disaster. So those are those are two of the biggest disappointments. In fact, my man Dougie Marino who was on this show uh, a few weeks ago. Who does uh, such a great job doing research and stats for us. He said he went like six octaves past where we were talking about it today. And he said, I think they're the biggest disappointment in the history of the game. And you could make a case given how much money Steve Cohen spent. He probably wouldn't argue with you. Other candidates, the St. Louis Cardinals, huge disappointment. The New York Yankees, enormous disappointment. Can you imagine walking in Manhattan these days and you're and you're a big baseball fan and you're one or the other because I'm from New York. I told you that. You're either a Yankee fan or you're a Mets fan. But both are, are terrible. Everybody calling for Brian Cashman's head even though he's been there for a generation. Calling for Aaron Boone. You know how folks are. They want someone's head when you don't win. I mean, that's human nature. But those four teams stand out uh, as huge disappointments. I don't know if I would put the Angels... At that level of disappointment, I'm disappointed because I want to see Otani and Trout in the postseason. I said this last week or a couple of weeks ago. It would be akin to having, going back, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen on the same team, but they never went to the playoffs. Or currently, LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the same team, and they don't go to the playoffs. So it's a shame. But the Angels, you keep thinking, oh, they'll make a run. Nope, they went the other direction. The same thing with the Padres. You, you kept saying, all right, they got to they gotta have an 8 out of 10, a 12 out of 15 in them. I know there's there's still plenty of time left, but each day that, you know, marks a, uh, 24 hours off the calendar, they're losing opportunities. The teams that are currently leading their division, Baltimore leading Tampa as we speak by, I think, three games. I want to say Tampa catches Baltimore. But the injury to McClanahan is going to be tough. So I'll go the other way. I say Baltimore holds off Tampa. Tampa's a playoff team. Anyhow, Minnesota in the division nobody wants to win. They'll hang on. They'll probably finish with like 85 wins or 84 wins, and they'll win the division because everybody else is awful. Cleveland's looking to the future, and they're in second place in that division. 
Texas made a lot of moves at the deadline. We know how many moves they made in the offseason. And they're getting a big lift from some of those moves. Scherzer, Jordan Montgomery, who they got from St. Louis. I think they'll hold off Houston. Houston's going to be really dangerous. Again, the defending world champs. They'll be in it. But I think I think uh, Texas holds on. Uh, in the National League, Atlanta has just run away and hid. Atlanta, I got one for you. And for those stat nerds, you can kind of dig around and look this up. The Atlanta Braves may be, this isn't hyperbole, they may be the greatest offensive team of all time. And you go, wait a second, the 27 Yankees, the 31 Yankees, there have been other great teams. I think the Brooklyn Dodgers had a you know phenomenal team when they had Duke Snyder and Gil Hodges in the 50s. They may be the greatest team offensively we've ever seen, the Atlanta Braves. The number of home runs, the on-base percentage, they're, they're different. They're different. And there are numbers that support that. They win in, 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 a, in a walk. Philly, Philly will make the playoffs. They've come on. I want to say in the National League Central, and we'll revisit this. That's why I'm, I'm kind of going over this. It's kind of fun to see, you know, if I was right about any of this. And it's not that hard. We're six weeks left, right? It's not like I'm uh, Nostradamus. Everybody wants to say the Cubs come on and they catch Milwaukee, right? Because they're the Cubs. That's a Cub thing, right? Nobody was thinking the Cubs were going to be any good this year. But lo and behold, they are. I think Milwaukee, because they're big three on the mound, Woodruff, Burns, Peralta, not necessarily in that order, with Devin Williams in the ninth. And I think they're getting a really good season from Christian Yelich. Willie Adamas has struggled this year, but I, I think they'll have enough to hold off the Cubs. Now, can the Cubs make a wild card? That would be pretty good. And the Dodgers, the Dodgers, the Dodgers. Once again, they're going to win the National League West, and they're going to win it by a bunch in a different way. In the past, over the last decade plus, they win the division because they have the best pitching in baseball from a starter standpoint, from a bullpen standpoint, and they have great depth. This year, they've been a bottom third team on the mound through 120 games. Now they're starting to get healthy. They could get Walker Bueller back. He's coming off Tommy John. Clayton Kershaw came back against the Rockies and looked like Clayton Kershaw. He's going to be dealing with a balky shoulder, but they're they're starting to get healthy. And offensively, it's a veteran team, but they produce. It, It takes me to that thing in sports where a team expects to win versus that team that hopes to win. And the Dodgers expect to win. And they have come on like gangbusters as we take this uh, show on a Wednesday night. They've won nine consecutive games. And I I thought they were going to be about an 87-win team this year. I said that. I may have said it on the podcast. I know I said it somewhere because I thought they were going to take a big step back. You know, they weren't real active in in re-signing guys or going out and getting names in free agency. Yet here they are, way out in front of everybody in the National League West, Arizona's fallen off the face of the earth. The Giants somehow kind of hang in there, but they're not real sexy. Padres are the team that, you, as we said, you keep waiting to make a move. Dodgers are going to win that division going away. And then it'll go back to what we say every October. Okay, that's great. Dodgers are one of the great regular season teams year in and year out. But can they win in October? 
somewhat similar to the Atlanta Braves in the 90s into the first part of the 2000s when they won 14 straight division titles, but the only World Series they captured was 1995. Those are my predictions. We'll have fun with uh, that when the season ends, if I remember, to revisit it. I'll only revisit it if I was 100% right. That's how it works. The Rockies' third base coach I had on last year when he was elevated from being the manager of the Albuquerque Isotopes to being the infield instructor for 2023 and the third base coach for the Rockies, Warren Schaefer. And I've gotten to know Warren, got to know him a little bit, you know, really on the phone last year. We we taped it in the offseason, but I'm with him every day. I love this guy. This is a sharp cookie. And he's a hardworking guy. Uh, he's charismatic. The players really take to him. And he's got he's got an interesting background. I think uh, on one hand, he's like a lot of coaches in that they were minor league players that, not all, but some never got to the big leagues, but wanted to stay in the game. And I think Warren realized that at some point in his minor league career, he played at Virginia Tech collegiately, and he was better known for his glove than his bat. It's kind of a late round pick of the Rockies, but they saw in Warren a future on the field in uniform as an instructor, as a leader. And as we go to this interview, I will tell you that I fully expect one day Warren Schaefer will be a big league manager. Enjoy the conversation, folks. Warren Schaefer, who coaches third and handles all the infielders for the Rockies. So you and I chatted uh, in the offseason last year, and what's interesting for me is is sometimes you forget that there are a lot of big league cities you had never been to. Yeah, uh, ballparks, all of them, except for Pittsburgh, where I'm from. Um, but cities, I've, I've been to probably half of them. Yeah. yeah. Has, has it been uh, a neat experience so far, or are you so immersed in the grind that, it, that it's hard to take no. all in and reflect? Yeah, no, I... I, I love the experience of seeing the new cities. That's a big, it's a big positive to this job. I mean, you get to see the best cities in the United States. Um, it's try to try to see some part of the city when you're there, and, and um, it's been great. I've, I've loved pretty much everyone we've been to. Yeah. So I learned a little more about your, about your background when you and I visit and, and, and chit chat. You're unique in that coming out of high school. You had opportunities to go to an Ivy and turn that down. Take take me through when you were eighteen, man. Shoot, I'm not that unique, Drew. But but uh, yeah, I mean those, the type of player I was and the type of grades I got in school. I mean, I was I was getting recruited by Harvard and Yale, Princeton, um, shoot, Delaware, William and Mary, those kind of schools in that area, kind of kind of uh, low level Division One but high academic schools. Um, Went to Harvard one weekend for an official visit, committed, and then I, you know, I decommitted the next weekend because I went to Virginia Tech, and I loved it, and I always wanted to play baseball in the South, and and um, they gave me an opportunity. Lo and behold, it doesn't feel like the South in Blacksburg, Virginia, <laughs> but I met my wife there, and uh, we have two great kids, and it, and it's uh, no regrets at all, no regrets. Has Suter giving you a hard time about turning down uh, Harvard? I'm not sure he knows that. I don't think we've discussed that, but Suter's a great guy, and he he just he seeps Harvard out of him. I mean, you get to know him. Yeah, yeah. So, what did mom and dad say at the time? Uh, do it, do what you want. And baseball was the biggest thing at that point. And uh, 
you know what, you're looking back on it. I think if I would have went to Harvard that, that I would be in the same spot I was now. Um, doing this, this is what I love to do. And I don't think it, you can you can really have any degree to do what I'm doing right now. Yeah. When, when somebody who's playing and then shuts it down after – you know, you played in the minor leagues uh-huh. with the Rockies, and you say, I want to stay in baseball. What were your aspirations? What are your aspirations? Um, well, at the time, you know, I, I was just, I had had enough of playing. It was, it was, uh, it wasn't fun for me anymore. And I had a wife, and we wanted to start a family, and um, it was just sensible to move on at the time. And I haven't regretted one day of it. I mean, I, I don't miss playing at all. I mean, that, I, that's rare, I think, for a coach to say that, but. Um, I enjoy what I'm doing now way more than I ever loved playing, starting in college. Yeah. Um, but the aspiration was just to affect people on, on a day-to-day basis and just um, try to create men um, in any profession that I chose, whether that be a teacher or a coach, which is kind of like a teacher. Um, but that's that's always been my focus, and that's what my dad kind of hinted that I should do is something that affects people's lives, and uh, I try to do that on a daily basis, no, no matter if I was in A-ball or, or here. And it's staying in uniform. It's interacting every day as opposed to you know, being upstairs, so to speak, and, and looking at yeah, it from sure. an analytical perspective. Well, I think my background as, as a player uh, led me to – it was an easy transition – to relate to players at a young age. When I started, I was 28 years old as a hitting coach and pretty similar age to the guys I was. I mean, I was coaching Mike Talkman, who was maybe, what, five years younger than me. Um, but it it just, that platform of, of me being comfortable in that area and being able to relate to those players, that, to me, that can affect those people's lives uh, better than I could doing something else outside of the game. Do you still feel, not that you're ancient by any stretch, but do you still feel like I can speak their language, the guys that uh, were still yeah. in uniform playing? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I feel like that. I don't know. I, I think maybe I'll always feel like that. I just, I just, I don't know. I, I, I love to relate to people. I love to find out what makes them tick and where they're from and what, what you know, their family life. And good things usually come out of that. If you're, if you're genuine with with what you do, good things usually come out of that. You've managed, obviously, at the professional level. Now you're an infield instructor. You're a third-base coach. Having managed, is the allure there to one day be a big league manager? Uh, Sure, yeah. I think if the situation presents itself, I mean, I would. that's definitely something I'd be interested in. I I feel like my skill set, this has been great for me to do this uh, and get my foot in the door here in, in the big leagues and but he gave me a great opportunity to be able to coach third base and coach infielders, which is my specialty on the field is to coach infielders. Um, but my skill set is to manage and to uh, create a culture and to uh, build people and build teams. Um, that's what I enjoy the most doing. Um, but I do love what I'm doing now too. Like in the, man- in the minor leagues, you're the manager you're also the third base coach, so I got to do that for the past eight years. Um, you do it all in the minor leagues. I mean, as a manager, you, you're, your staff is very small, so you have to rely on yourself more to do more things, which I love doing. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, I think someday maybe that would be a 
fun thing to do. Yes. Sure. <laughs> what specific things have you learned from being around Buddy every day? Um, I learn, I've learned a ton from Buddy. I mean, I've learned just what this game is like at this level, uh, how even keel he is behind closed doors, and how valuable that is. Um, how to handle pitchers, which is something I'm always learning about um, since day one, becoming a manager, being a position player myself. Um, just how to keep it light. I mean, that's something I've always done, but Buddy does it well. I mean, it, you just you pick Buddy's brain all the time because he's been in the game forever, and he's so willing to give you the knowledge, which is uh, I'm very thankful for. One of the first things that we tell players when they transition to broadcasting and it's, and it's usually former players telling players who just left the game, do not forget how hard the game is yeah. when you're upstairs. Do you remind yourself of that as well as a coach? Don't forget how hard the game is oh, yeah. because now you're removed from playing. You, you have to. I mean, that's the oldest adage in the game for coaches. I mean, you see coaches along the way that forget that, and then players stop relating to them. Um, because it's not an easy game. You can't ever forget that. As soon as, as, soon as you think the game is easy and you act like that, uh, players, you've lost them. You've lost them, and rightfully so. I mean, I had coaches when I was a player that thought the game that was really easy, at least that's how it came apart, came across, and you didn't want, you didn't want to go even around them. Um, it's just uh, it's a very, very hard game, and you have to have empathy with these guys and, and go through the grind with them. You have to go through the grind with them. Yeah. What are you imparting? Sometimes people at home would say, man, these guys are the best in the world. Well, uh, how do you coach a, a guy like, we'll talk about Tovar. I want to talk about Tovar quite a bit. But, I mean, the feet look great. The hands obviously work. I mean, yeah. what is it other than, hey, you get his, you know, his work in with him. Are, are you imparting things periodically? Yeah, periodically. That's exactly right. I mean, Tovar has it all for me. I mean, he's a 21-year-old with a great brain. Which, which is so impressive to me, how he can control his his emotional level on the day-to-day basis and how he can play every day physically at 21 in a hard man's game at the, at the highest level, um, and especially in today's game where guys are getting off days all the time. I mean, he plays every day. And, but, but it's just conversations with him. Um, we do what you see us do in early work. That's, that's stuff every day that he does on his own comes out and I'm ready for him and it gets him right for every day I mean it's just as simple as hey this is part of what we do and you don't even have to tell him that he does it over and over and over again because he believes it in his heart that this gets him right for the night Um, and little conversations just about hey look at this guy last night playing shortstop on that team what can you learn from him um Earlier in the year, I remember a conversation. We were giving up stolen bases of third base way too often, which is a cardinal sin for me. And we were at, in Arizona, and Ahmed was playing shortstop, who I really like as a defender. And he would come into the grass, yell at the pitcher, and tell him, hey, this guy's trying to steal third base. We learned from him. Tovar saw that. He picked it up. Now Tovi's doing it. It's little things that he can learn from every day that – not necessarily from me, but from other players, um, and just what the game is teaching you, and he does it really well. You remember your junior, senior year, being 21, 22 in Blacksburg, Virginia, oh. and I, something tells me you were probably pretty, you know, mature at that 
space in time. This kid blows me away. You're with him every minute, every day, it seems like. Yeah, it's just different. I mean, he's different. I, I just, I love the head. I can't say it enough. I love the head on his shoulders. I love his his uh, ability to hold himself accountable. Um, that's why I know he's going to be good for a long time. And that's why I know people that are, are going to be around him in the coming years are going to be better for being around him. Um, I don't know. I think the sky's the limit for him, and, and it's ultra impressive for me uh, uh, on how he handles it. How about the bat? I mean, the, and the, the power in particular. Yeah, I mean, I, I see coming into this, I just knew he was a good player. I didn't know what kind of a good player he was, but he can do it all. And I think the the years coming, you're going to see more and more of the power, um, more and more doubles, more and more uh, team at bats, grinding out at bats, um, which start rallies. I mean, I just I think he's a top notch. He can be a top notch leader on a team. I just think he's, he's going to be a good Rocky for a long time. I'm really excited for his future. Yeah. You observe everyone. You work specifically, as we chatted, with the infielders. Uh, what's your impression of some of the other young guys that uh, Rocky's fans and, and the organization actually are hopeful are, are part of the solution down the road? I think we got a good good crew of young guys. Who specifically do you want me to talk about? Talk about know. Nolan Jones. He's Nolan, been na- yeah. next up on, on a lot of people's uh, list of guys that have impressed us. Heck, year. yeah. Nolan's got... I, I, uh, a great package, doesn't he? I mean, he's he got a great package. First of all, defensively, uh, his speed, his arm strength, um, his overall defense, which he, he's still learning the outfield, which is promising for me because he's going to continue to get better out there. Um, I just love his upside out there. I, I think him and Doyle out there in the outfield together is going it, to – it's a huge blanket that covers an enormous outfield in baseball, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, offensively, I love what he brings to the plate. I love that he gets the ball in the air. I love that he takes walks. Um, he's not scared. I love. I mean, he handles left-handed pitching pretty well too. I mean, he's hey, hey he's handled the road too. He's handled the road too. I mean, he's that kind of a player for me. Plays every day, man. I mean, that, that he plays in every park and he plays against any pitcher. That's what I mean by that. Um, but he's but he's been great. I love Nolan Jones. Is there a stay-in-the-lane mentality sometimes in coaching in that take Brenton Doyle, and, and Brenton, as, as we all have seen, plays as good a center field, I think, as anybody in the game already. Offensively, he, he's, a, he's um, a, a project right now. There's a lot of swing and miss there. Do you, will you go by and say, hey, keep your head up, even though you don't specifically work with the hitters? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, we see him on a day-to-day basis. I have a vantage point as the third base coach where I can see specifically left-handed guys. I talked to Tolley the other day about just just keep going, man. You know, just, uh, it, it's um, we're all in this together, Drew, and the stay in your lane mentality. I mean, a lot. I know a lot of places believe in that, but I'm not offering them hitting advice by any means because I really don't have a lot to offer in that, in that category. But... Uh, we got three great hitting coaches in there. I mean, great. Uh, Bam's awesome. PJ's awesome. Andy's awesome. So they've got all the guys they need to work with in there. But anytime you can give anybody encouragement, pitchers, the whole team. I mean, we're all in this together, and that's that's the way to go for me. Yeah. When you have a nice victory, as we tape this, uh, nice come-from-behind victory on a Monday night uh, against Arizona, even though the wins have been fewer and farther between, how much does it raise the, the spirit, if you will, in the clubhouse uh, 10 minutes after? Yeah, it's a good feel after a win like that. I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of situation you're in. 
um, in terms of the standings. I mean, a win feels good. And especially after you, I think we dropped five straight, right? We dropped five straight. That win feels really good last night. And, and the way we did it was, was really good. A comeback win against a really good ball club over there in Arizona. It's just fun. Winning's always fun, Drew. You can't ever take that away. All right. The proverbial question uh, as we depart. If you were not doing this, what would you be doing? Gosh. I'd probably teach at school somewhere. Really? Teaching yeah. and coaching at yeah, the high school. Probably. probably. There you go. Hey, enjoyed it as always, man. Good luck tonight. Okay, thanks a lot, Drew. Big fan of Warren Schaefer, and more importantly, so is uh, guys like Ryan McMahon, Ezekiel Tovar, relentless worker, relentlessly positive, really sharp guy. Wouldn't you like to be the guy that turned down like Harvard, Yale, and Dartmouth? And Vautech's a good school, academically, but that's pretty cool, huh? One of my partners, same story, Dave Lapham, one of my old football partners, one of my favorite partners of all time. Dave still does the Cincinnati Bengals on radio, played for the Bengals for a decade, offensive lineman, funny, witty, just an all-timer. In fact, he's been on the podcast, been, been probably a year and a half, and Lappy, coming out of a Boston area high school, was offered by Harvard. Good student. And he turned it down and went to Syracuse and had an outstanding career at Syracuse. And then, you know, a 10-year career in the NFL. Also played for a minute in the USFL. Then his son, Dave, growing up in Ohio, had an opportunity to play baseball and football at Harvard. He turned it down as well. And he went to a good school, Miami of Ohio, and ended up playing uh, playing some baseball there. So I guess not everybody who gets offered by Harvard or gets admitted by Harvard goes to Harvard. A couple of quick hitters before we get on out of here. How about Lionel Messi? He has scored, as we tape this, in all six Inter-Miami matches. And now they're good. I don't follow the MSL. But I was down in Miami when he played his first match, and Corey Sullivan, who has a soccer background, Corey was a really good player in, in high school, you know, he informed me, hey, this guy's going to dominate. And I said, I know he's one of the best players of all time, but it's still, it's still soccer. I mean, it's hard to score in soccer. How can you be one guy and dominate? And, and Inter-Miami, evidently, was in last place in their division. Well, now they're a top the MSL, or at least the 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 cup that they're playing for. Again, I'm I'm talking out my you know what right now because I don't know all of the tournaments and so on. But I know this much: Messi has scored in every game. He scored two goals in a couple of games. It's remarkable. It really is. James Harden. What you got on James Harden? He's trying to dictate where he goes. He signed the option with Philadelphia, and then he threw the general manager under the bus calling the uh, the GM, who's been around a long time, a liar. And I, I started thinking, and I, I haven't been in the NBA in a long time. You know, James Harden's had a marvelous career. I never was a big fan of watching him play with Houston because it was one guy and four guys watching one guy play. Now, he can flat out score. He can shoot the three. He can get to the bat bucket. But he's not the same guy. He's not the same guy. He's a name with a big salary but he's not nearly as impactful as he was a few years ago. So I'm like, he wants out and he's trying to demand that, which I guess you have that right. But how covet is he? Do you think he's like the the missing piece? 
Anyhow, that caught my eye. That'll do it for show number 215. Again, thanks to Warren Schaefer for jumping on. Rockies continue this homestand with the White Sox, and then it'll be fun. We'll do a show next week from the road. The Rockies will see Tampa, and they're always fascinating. And then on to Baltimore, a team just a couple of years removed from losing 110 games. So I think the Rockies uh, hopefully will be able to garner some positive vibes from what Baltimore has gone through. But that's that next road trip, and uh, we'll come to you uh, from Tampa a week from today. Stay safe, stay well, talk to you soon. 